It's okay, I'll fix it in post. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready? Whoa. Whoa. So how are you? Good. Just doing my best Oscar impression. He's been wild and loud and completely crazy and we love him for it. (laughs) Uh, He does this thing when you guys leave the house and I just want to make sure that it's on the record because it's such a tender (laughs) but really kind of sad moment for me, not for him because he's a piece of shit (laughs) and he only cares about you guys. But when you folks leave, when you and our kid leave to go to school, to go to work and I'm sitting here working from home sometimes he watches after you guys you close the door and he just stands there waiting <laughs> for you to magically come back and just think some chopped liver and and i'm right there but he's like looking in the hallways for you guys and he's like whoa whoa I'm like dude i'm right here it's and the then he, sweetest thing i've ever heard. And he looks at me and he's like where where'd they go what? <laughs> i don't want you it's like dude i'm right here to support you i don't want you <laughs> i <laughs> He's like, uh, like uh, Oscar. And, um, it's kind of funny that he's named that because in uh, Arrested Development is like, uh, what Oscar Booth. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, I don't want these. Yeah, he says, uh, George, you can have my friends, and it's all these like weird looking acquaintances <laughs> of Oscar Bluth. He's like, I don't want these. <laughs> so anyway uh yeah it is it is pretty stupid but this is uh our kids asleep and uh this is jaime and i'm joined by my wife maddie we've been pretty busy we've been doing a lot of uh audition work with uh maddie so i think uh i want to i want to hear your thoughts quickly on what that's been like um it's been crazy i haven't auditioned for anything in i don't know 15 years so yeah it's been a while it's been a while and um uh yeah auditioning for audiobooks is weird and different (laughs) how so what what's really sticking out at this point well it's kind of nice you don't have to audition in front of a, a person you're just you know it's just you in the microphone has it been interesting kind of get back getting back into the swing of things after yeah it's like it's like exercising a muscle you haven't used in a while Right. And um, mine is very atrophied. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but you know, I feel that it's it's been a really good experience for you just because I see that that thing, you know, like when your mind just kind of clicks and you're like, yeah. I'm really like in the zone. I think the switch is flipping for sure. Like stuff is coming back. Right. And it's not even like conscious stuff. It's just like stuff that I knew how to do. Well, it's an actor's brain. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's like that muscle memory kind of comes back and you remember. It you. Huh? It doesn't leave you. Yeah. Like that. It just, yeah. yeah it, um, it's always probably going to be there. It's just a matter of reminding yourself that it's there and that you can still know how to use it. Right. But now you're about what, six or seven auditions in? eight eight yeah Yeah. so we've we also got some good news yeah i got an offer this morning you got an offer that i've accepted one out of eight i mean that's that's pretty good yeah Mm -hmm. i was i was thinking you know it might take a little i should say that 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 offer was preceded by about five rejections in a row (laughs) so how how beaten down were you no not at all no because i actually saw the offer first 
Right. And then right. I saw the rejections and that kind of made me laugh. But <laughs> like, um, now you guys don't get any of this. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, it was, no, that was, I actually kind of like getting the rejections because it means they're listening right. to the audition. Right. And then they say, oh, you're not right for this. Oh, okay. Or they found someone who was. So, yeah. um, no, it doesn't really bother. <laughs> Oscar is joining us. We have a new configuration and he's just kind of he's tapping at the microphones. Very curious. Absolutely. Um, hey, hey, get down. Get down, man. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh it's been a fun um interesting experience so far. Yeah. I just want to say it's been really great to be able to see you back in in action again in that element or in your element in in that in that work that you're doing, I'm, I'm really excited to be able to watch that again. So I think it's going to be kick ass and, uh, you're going to do awesome. You're going to do awesomely. And, uh, moving on, I guess, do you want to talk about some things that happened sure. this week? Oh, it, it's just the, just a little old thing. <laughs> we got a new president. You got, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Were you paying attention? I, you know, you know, we weren't like glued to the yeah. <laughs> TV for. I tried not to be a fucking week, to be honest. But it's it's been a, a long road, and I'm relieved. I think that was the first emotion that I experienced when they called it or quasi called it on Saturday, and they mm -hmm. felt pretty confident about it. At least the Associated Press and even Fox News joined in. I thought, yeah, it's it's kind of a done deal at this yeah. point. Um, how tired are you <laughs> on a scale of I mean, one to 40 yeah i mean i am i was just ready for it to be at least for the, a decision to you know i was ready for that part to be done and it just dragged on and dragged on and like eventually okay so they called it on saturday and then there's all this other shit started happening where it's like he won't concede and yeah you know for those of you who don't who live under a rock and don't read the news <laughs> president trump refuses to concede that he lost which they've done you know every president who's lost an election has conceded pretty much like in the tv era right they, that's how long that's out. been going on mm -hmm. so you know it's it's not a requirement it is a norm um it is a gracious thing that people you know that the loser does to acknowledge the winner yeah and president trump is anything but gracious so yeah. and this is something interesting that i kind of want to sidetrack just for a moment that you you mentioned that there was somebody on npr who was talking about the decorum right there are so many things that you think oh well the president of the united states is supposed to do this not because there's a law, but because it's what has been done before. Yeah. It's sort of like the the behavior that's been established over, you know, 200 years or however long it's been. There yeah. he goes. There he goes again, Oscar. Mm -hmm. Sit down. He's going to get comfy right there. Yeah, he is. But that, that's kind of the idea is you can't expect a president to just follow this, this gentleman's agreement or handshake kind of, you know, environment when your president has no morals like you need to have that shit on paper you yeah, brought but, that to my attention yeah and we just we've never i mean a concession speech i think is the least of our concerns but 
yeah, the idea that that a lot of the presidency hinges on these quote unquote norms that yeah. are not codified. And yeah. that's like the word that that author kept using over and over again was that these norms are not codified. There's nothing legal saying the president has to do this or shouldn't do this right. or can't right. do this or whatever. So in terms of the concession, that's just another thing to add to the list of things that he isn't, you know, just refuses to do for whatever reason, you know, and I don't know. I, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if he concedes or not. It's just one of those things where, I mean, it, I guess it matters in terms of his supporters understanding that this is over yeah but they've already bought into the narrative that has been presented to them by social media the president and fox news so that sector of of the voting you know like demographic is not going to do anything differently like it's you know he's been he's been cheated there was voter fraud and there were millions of you know fake ballots stuffed in there somehow um but I, I've seen it pretty often now, even in the last couple of days, that uh, folks are pretty much set on the way that the narrative took place in in the red side of of the country. And I think my biggest thing now is is just seeing how long this is going to play out. How long will he be putting up this front of refusing to to back down? Yeah, and I guess in, what I mean is in that it doesn't matter is that come January 20th of 2021, the ride's over. Mm -hmm. And if he doesn't want to leave, they will make him leave. Yeah. And that's all, it, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. So I'm not that concerned about whether or not his ego is going to allow him to concede loss. And and I was very concerned about it initially, you know, and, and I've probably said this on the podcast before and I kept bitching and, and just griping that it's going to be civil war. He's going to refuse to stay, you know, and I think looking at the way that some Republican, um, some members of the Republican leadership have been reacting where they've been kind of distancing themselves from trump and and you know just the narrative of, of voter fraud i think that they're not going to go along for the ride because they're looking at self-preservation they're going to look at we're, we're on to the next thing right you, right you you had your shot you were here for a little while but really the more politically savvy people like that fucking turtle mitch mcconnell he's going to be around for a while so he's just going to move on to the next yeah thing. i mean it's the, just the opportunistic attitude that you have to have to get along yes. in, in politics and yeah like as soon as he was declared a loser you could feel the withdrawal <laughs> the, just like you could uh, feel everybody going oh boy okay he lost moving on we have to, to be the, uh, diplomatic about this but we're also going to uh we also would like to get reelected. so yeah um, and that was another point that, you know, and you've been more closely attuned to this because I've been trying to block out so many, you know, things and so many points of view on this. But you said that uh, if the Democrats were rigging the, ele the election, why the fuck would we reelect McConnell? Mm -hmm. Like as, as leader of the Senate, why is that even like? It's ridiculous. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it, and to be honest, I thought it was ridiculous when 
Democrats were saying it when Trump won in 2016. Do you really think that we needed to rig the election to make Hillary lose? She was going to lose anyway. Well, that's that's the sort of like the prickly aspect of it, right? Where I think Democrats need to look very closely at what the game plan has been. Because if you have such a close election in 2016, you don't learn from your mistakes. And then you believe you believe that the blue wave is going to come just with like in full swing to to really prove this president wrong. Here we are in in a relatively close margin. Yes, 7 million is a fuck ton of people, but looking at the the grand scheme of things, it's yeah, but electorally, it was razor thin. Yeah, it it still is to to some degree, but um we need to ask the question even if it's not like a savory question. It it's a difficult thing to ask. Why is it still so I I so think close? um I think the idea on either side of of uh indicating that our elections are not free and fair whether you're saying um russia interference caused hillary to lose which so whether you're saying that or you're saying democrats rigged the election it's dangerous either way right because the integrity of our elections hinge on the confidence of the people in those elections exactly so if you compromise people's confidence in it then the whole thing falls apart so back in 2016 i did i it felt it doesn't it doesn't feel as as urgent as it does now but it definitely was the beginnings of what we're seeing now mm-hmm and it's just on the other side. And so, you know, okay, yes, Russia did interfere with our elections. But like I said the other day, there weren't Russian agents stuffing fake right. ballots it was, into boxes. It, it was, was only a fraction of, of the division. Right. It's right? only part of the equation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just, it, I feel that, that denigrating our system because you're upset about how the election turned out yeah. is a dangerous slippery slope well what do we do when our team loses right you think is it our you know, team's fault or no, was the, the game cheating rigged? Or, yeah. yeah and i i just think that we we have to be very open about what worked and what didn't and the and the democratic leadership needs to really assess honestly genuinely why people aren't looking at what we believe is obvious which is you know why follow this tyrannical person why why follow this individual who really doesn't have the interests of the working class you know like as a priority and um i i just think that ultimately the people's amnesia is what's going to cure us of this right because how soon did we forget these sentiments in 2016 yeah i mean we had to move on to another you know series of drama you know that was given to us by the president regularly and same with this with these people saying that voter fraud is happening now eventually it's going to be another set of of panic situations caused by the democratic president and then the republicans are going to be freaking out for four years so it's a matter of trying to identify the optics for yourself but without without letting go of the the north star of the situation which is like why the fuck is this so 
like polarized. And when you start addressing those things legitimately, I think that you'll have less and less of those, those issues, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, right now we feel good <laughs> because Trump won't be president. It's a great feeling. But I also think we, this isn't really the time for Democrats to be gloating because right. we barely made it. Mm -hmm. And there's why we need to understand why that is. Exactly. And, um, uh, something, some a reporter on NPR the other, or maybe I read it on NPR. They said that, that working class people are no longer the lunch pail toting union Democrats. Right. They are now ideologically Republican because yes. that's the only thing that anybody talks about. Abortion, exactly. gun rights, civil and social uh, issues that get people riled up. We're not any longer talking about the economy. We're not talking about jobs. We're not talking about anything well, of they're, substance they're emotional issues. or policy. Exactly. Yeah, and that's causing this swing in places that were traditionally democratic mm -hmm. to vote against their own interest. Right. And that's a big problem and it's going to be a big problem again in 2024 if we don't start addressing these issues yeah and in my opinion it, it comes down to marketing and i've said this before the democrats have like great ideas about how to help the working people uh if if they ever implement them i mean i, I think we would be in a much better place which is why i'm still left-leaning and and fairly progressive and believe in some of these some of these things but at the same time the messaging is all wrong because you don't have people from the midwest who are able to really like galvanize the vote so that they can they can look after their own interests you know uh they they just hear well this this lady from san francisco is doing this and this and that and she only cares about this yeah. but in reality Pelosi wants to do realistically more than the Republicans, you know, yeah. for the Midwest. Well, and it, but it's it's that perception problem, exactly. Of you know the Democrats like, <laughs> are the party of the coastal elite, right? You know, and you and you want to say it's like get a fucking marketing firm, you know? It's like yeah, it, like it's just, not that hard. Just, yeah, yeah, it's a PR problem. Yeah, and and that's why I mean, if if <laughs> folks were to actually see the, see the reality of what the Republican Party is selling them. I think that they would be more likely to turn Democrat um, if if they actually got accurate messaging. Yeah, maybe. I don't. I don't have a lot of. You faith. You think we're too far gone? I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a lot of faith in people. I just think. I think people see politics as a game, right? And the only thing that matters in the game is that we win. The team. Team's got to win. Team's got to win. Yeah. And so politics has turned into a team sport and, you know, we can't have football because of COVID. So we can have politics. <laughs> so po so, That's the, the replacing. Uh, yeah. So it's just, I don't, ESPN. there's no, there's no logic. There's no rational approach to this. There's no critical thinking. There's right. no, there's no debating about policy because no one right. gives a shit about policy. 
And uh, it's it's great you mentioned that because I, I was, you know, obviously on YouTube hunting Andrew Yang clips because that's what I do now, just reminiscing about the future <laughs> that could have been. And there was this one on CNN where Andrew Yang was talking about this is like when I was running for president in the Midwest, I would go up to somebody, say, at a gas station or, or a restaurant, whatever, and I would say, you know, I'm running for president. They would say, oh, what party are you with? And he said, I, I'm a Democrat. And people would just kind of flinch like, you know, like you just said, like a bad word, you know, and again, we come to the issue of perception where Democrat is the enemy or Republican is the bad guy. And there you just can't see beyond that label. Mm -hmm. And it's so fucking corrosive to conversation. And you and I know it from here, living, living in a red state, it, you know, we have to find a way to communicate why we believe that these these ideals are best for the working people because you know that's what we believe and i mean the stock market doesn't mean shit to me the you know people struggling in this community is what means something to me right so how do we make that better we we need to implement appropriate safety nets that can that can support people so that they can get back on their feet and not overly reliant on the system um but easier said than done mm -hmm. i mean and and that's one perspective that people are going to debate, you know, till the fucking cows come home. But we have to be able to at least have the dialogue without resorting to, you're part of the bad people, so I'm not really going to have anything to do with you. Yeah. And it's exhausting. Yeah. Incredibly and, exhausting. And it doesn't, to be honest, with social media becoming more entrenched in our society and it just, I don't see an end to it. I just see it getting worse. Yeah. And that's really depressing. <laughs> you know, I, and as optimistic as you can feel when the person you voted for won, you kind of at the end of the day you're like, yeah, but to what end? Right. To what end is it, how is he even going to be able to govern? Yeah, especially if he if he has a red senate, it's going to be very how, But how very can difficult. you govern when half a country doesn't believe you were legitimately elected? <laughs> I mean, that's a big hurdle. Yeah, it's it's the grand delusion, right? I mean, like they said in the social dilemma, it's like we have our own Truman show, our own perspective and it's amplified by everything we experience on social media, so we get to the point where we don't believe anything outside of our our uniquely customized point of view. And you can have a, a conversation with somebody who's that far in the, in you can't the rabbit have a, hole. You can't have a conversation with somebody who is living a different reality from you. Yeah. You can't govern people who are living in a different reality. <laughs> That's not possible. Yeah, they, they have said this country is ungovernable yeah. right now. You cannot it's, please everyone. Even yeah. get close to it. But uh, So, in conclusion... <laughs> Good luck, President Biden and Vice President Harris. They're going to do great. They're going to be yes queening and they're going to be having a great time. <laughs> My favorite thing ever was Tim Dillon <laughs> saying that Kamala Harris was going to yes queen her way into the White House. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Biden's a corpse. He's gonna croak, <laughs> and Kamala's gonna take over. Yes, and... bitch, into the White House. <laughs> and then she'll microchip you. That was that was his yeah, thing. It's like yeah. she, she's gonna microchip you, or she's gonna put everyone in jail. She's a she's an arc. She a cop. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm very relieved. I'm sleeping better. 
Yeah, I um, have to say I am too. The the complete tension in my in my lower, you know, uh, back is uh-huh. is uh, <laughs> kind of <laughs> fading, uh-huh. uh, and I feel good. You know, I mean, you I, know, at least we won't be like in, you know global embarrassment anymore. Yeah, and I just. <sighs> You know, the, the one thing for me that I, I really hope something happens is you, you gotta get these kids in cages to their, to their parents. Yeah. I'm, I'm going about my fucking business, you know, going to work or dropping our kid off at school. And I think about three-year-old kids taking care of, you know, the other kids who haven't been able to change or, or see their parents they're probably never going to see their parents again over 500 of them who you know just on on a an executive whim um have been trapped there you know through no fault of their own and it's horrifying it's it's disgusting and i really hope that biden does something about that as soon as possible and and i feel like the way we treat children in this country sometimes is so disappointing to me no support whatsoever you know and and um i really just i had to get that off my chest i want something to fucking happen so if you're listening joe biden get to it he doesn't know what podcasts are he's like he can't work a smartphone he can only play despacito on there or whatever the fuck you but any anyway i mean uh let's let's think to a new president i'm digging that and uh there you go a mild tank but let's see what happens here's to one year of joe and three of kamala maybe <laughs> a couple more we'll yeah. see how it pans out but i wish her the best in her presidency her three terms her slogan better be yes queen <laughs> <laughs> it is it is what it is <laughs> but we are we are less jaded uh this week than we were the week before no, from that conversation, you wouldn't guess that, but we yeah. are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling great. It's it's a wonderful week. Uh, fucking A. Let's talk about movies and something exciting. Okay. So we, actually, you, you read Song of Achilles a long time ago. Yeah, I read And it. you recommended it to me. And I want to talk about it for a minute because I finally got out of my slump, my... Um, my academia slump where we just read through so much, you know, stuff. And, um, I felt so exhausted for almost a decade that I didn't really know how to pick up a book for leisure or leisure, (laughs) leisure. If you're British. Okay. Well, I'm not that (laughs) fancy. So I, I picked up song of Achilles at your, you know, uh, I guess, yeah uh, recommendation and i just sat there floored every time i read every time i turned a page and now that i'm finally catching up to it after you had read it a few months ago um i'm glad we can finally talk about it um are we gonna spoil things i mean people know the fucking story yeah they, you don't you know, know the story <laughs> spoiler alert it's been around for like a thousand years so <laughs> Yeah. So, um, when you read it and you, you talked about this before, um, you're pretty taken, taken away by it, right? Like blown away. Um, what was it about the book that really just made you just like lean back a little bit? Well, this book was the, for the second book 
So I read them out of order. I read, read Cersei. Cersei first, mm-hmm. which is Madeline Miller's other book. Um, and then I read this one. And so I kind of already knew what I was getting into in terms of her writing and mm-hmm. just how she's on another level. Yeah. And um, so I was prepared for that. But the story is just the story, not unlike Cersei, is so big and it just encompasses so much. Yeah. But it doesn't ever feel. It doesn't ever feel. It always feels intimate. Right. It never feels like you're at an arm's distance, you know, and I think that might be because she tells the story not from Achilles' perspective, but from mm-hmm. Patroclus's, yeah. Patroclus's perspective. It's hard to say. <laughs> um, and so there's sort of a, you're kind of removed a little bit from the, the main, what would have been the main part of the story if you had been looking at just Achilles. Yeah. But because you're, you're looking, you're watching your, listening to the story from a different perspective you're just getting a completely different feeling about a story you may already know pretty well well it's so refreshing in in a sense and i i think the the greatest challenge and and one that you have to applaud is her saying there is there is another angle to a story such as this one that's that really stands tall in in our literature right in western literature you look at the fucking odyssey and you're like i think there's something else here it's like uh that one's been around for a reason and people have been kind of afraid to really try something and even if they have there's still this like massive thing as you say that is is hard to really reinvent because it is so vast and it it's so unique in so many ways but the way she did it and I'm going to try to explain this in, in like the way that I felt it best. Like she used that story to share a very personal, to make it a very intimate ride that showcased the humanity of a very gruesome time. The, the really um, intimate, quiet, um, romantic element of something that i hadn't seen before and in such a way that it that was like it felt very theatrical you know like when the lows were lows they were really low and sudden and scary and when there was light and and you know just kind of bubbly stuff happening it it just kind of carried that that lightness and the characters were just so fleshed out that i just sank into that world it was so overwhelming and i think the reason why it worked and i'm i'm not just like patting the theater kids on the back but i do believe that her theater background Mm -hmm. allowed her to bring this point of view in such a way that it just fired on all cylinders like when you're talking about the you know character development momentum you know dramatic progression and and the level of detail and i'll let you talk about this too because it's like from a historical perspective it's super interesting how effortless it was for her to give us historical accurate details of of everyday life 
in those times while weaving the narrative is just something to behold. Like I've never, even in Shakespeare, like I don't see that, that degree of weaving in the exposition, the detail, the, the world building and character development. Like it, it was just fucking divine. Like yeah. every single page, you know, with a a new metaphor, a new a new poetic way of of saying something, I, and I I got to think about it for a sec because I'm just fucking floored. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she um, I think a lot of it is her. Just she has such a wealth of knowledge about this world, yeah, and about the literature. And the source material and um, she because she has that I think it she just so effortlessly weaves it in like it comes naturally it comes I mean maybe yeah. it, it she makes it seem like it does right and you know this book took her like a decade to write so <laughs> yeah. and from the stories I've read about it sorry we had to take a little uh, break real quick what were you we talking about uh, the song of Achilles. Yeah, but specifically... Oh, I was talking about how long it took her to write it. Yeah, so it was about 10 years. Yeah, it took her about 10 years, and like halfway through that 10 years, she had a finished manuscript, and she threw it away and started over. Fuck. Because, and she didn't show it to anyone. Can you imagine? But can I think it's so interesting <laughs> how terrified she was to yeah. share her interpretation of because you know she she's she works at a university right and she's an academic but she was pretty terrified to share her interpretation of this with her colleagues why do you think that is uh, out of fear of uh i think it was i mean it was probably a combination of of feeling like it wasn't good enough but maybe also you know, feeling like it's not going to be accepted, mm. you know, like yeah. we don't need a new interpretation of these stories. Sure. You know, um, uh, and yeah, I guess on the surface, that's kind of the, the idea, right? You, you understand that to some degree Achilles and, and Patroclus, they, you know, it may have been his cousin. It may have been his, you know, what do they call it? The, the companion mm -hmm. or, you know, they they may have had a relationship most likely have had a relationship um a romantic one a romantic one of course but it, it's like y this allows you to go deeper in such a way that we've never seen before and i just love those those moments that she was able to bring out of something that was so almost overdone that is so it's almost like going down to your basement and you find something that you haven't seen in a long time. And you said, this is so beautiful. I, I haven't worn this jacket in ages and now it's here in the basement. Why haven't I done this? And that's kind of the feeling that you get throughout the whole book. It's like, how can this just kind of, how is she able to do that? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's, it's the great magic trick, right? Of like making something that's been around forever just seem like a completely 
brand new thing. Mm -hmm. And I got to be honest with you, I finished that last page. I read the last paragraph and I started bawling. I'm glad you were downstairs playing Animal <laughs> Crossing because I was a fucking mess. And I'm really glad <laughs> that <laughs> like I just had a moment to kind of recover um, because it, it gives you a full sense of mortality, what's at stake, why we do the things we do as human beings. You know, we do it for love. We do it to be giving you know, and I, I feel like that's probably a major thing throughout the whole um, story is that Patroclus from the get-go is not really somebody who provides much other than, you know, really poetic or, you know, free-flowing narration um, because he's living through Achilles mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And r halfway through or about, you know, a short while before the end, you start to see him become this figure that is that is just as capable and he's overcoming his fears and you know the what ifs and what's going to happen and he makes these really strong choices that of course put him in a situation where he he puts himself a day in in harm's way to to help the person he loves or to to protect the person he loves and um the resolution to that whole ordeal i mean is just one of the one of the best things that i've ever experienced in in story you know like just having that those last few paragraphs i'm still thinking about them you know and i i finished this like what three weeks ago or something like that mm -hmm. it's been a little while but that's powerful yeah it, and it's it's so life-affirming too you feel like yeah this is this is what life's all about mm -hmm. and i was like let's read some more <laughs> but everything's going to be dog shit because you know song of achilles yeah you is definitely a high started <laughs> yeah i was gonna say nowhere to go <laughs> but, just, like, but down i'm just gonna read the same book again and again no, it's um <laughs> but yeah i really do think she she's gonna be i feel that she is a once in a generation type of yeah. writer like i've never read anything without a doubt like hers because it's the again the perfect combination of intellect intuition and like the 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 acquired skill and the research or academic training what you will to back it up mm -hmm. right and it's all of this just just all these perfect ingredients of point of view that allowed us to have this and i'm incredibly grateful yeah that we got this book it's she just fucking killed it mm -hmm. you know for lack of a better and she word she, or vocabulary i think she outdoes herself in cersei in cersei mm. like if i had read them in reverse you know in the correct order <laughs> of when she wrote them i mean i think Song of Achilles is good, and she made Cersei better. You're like, and how is that possible? How is it possible? And as I'm as I'm looking back or thinking back on this book, I'm thinking that's probably not possible. But I'm gonna I'm really yeah. excited to experience that um, because it, it's just a testament of of somebody who cares deeply about 
not just the the story but the source material and and has the 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 care of a historian mm-hmm. right to really get these things down in a way that makes sense to people and it makes us want to be curious again about stories about history about what came before and it's done in such an elegant way that i'm like i think about it and i just like i i turn to you like every every other night when we were sitting there in bed and you know you were reading another book and i'd be reading this and i just look at you and i'm like are you fucking serious mm-hmm. and then i would read you a passage and then it, it would just be like complete mm-hmm. um i don't know complete joy mm-hmm. you know to to know that we have something like this something that exists in this in this fashion yeah it's pretty incredible mm-hmm. so i could i could just fawn over this book <laughs> for a while mm-hmm. maybe we'll we'll do another another episode on this did i mention this part in song of achilles about <laughs> it's <laughs> like an ongoing segment <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah that that definitely gets a tink that's a big tink in my book yeah book. is there I anything mean, you want to add if you haven't read madeline miller like you need to do it right now because she's yeah i don't know you... she's uh yeah, go ahead. And finish. No, no I, I, I had nothing say, of consequence to say. I was going to say she is such a unique <laughs> voice in a yeah. sea of garbage. Like <laughs> I've read a lot of books and not yeah. many of them are very good. Mm-hmm. So it's just to read something that stands out to me is yeah. is a feat. Right. Because you know when you when you read a lot you're going to read books that aren't as good. Yeah. They're still enjoyable. It doesn't mean they're not enjoyable, but rarely do you come across something that is so unique and so exceptional. And she managed to do it twice. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. most exceptional, extraordinary books I've ever read. And she managed to do it twice that's in that's intense and that's <laughs> yeah. pretty incredible yeah. so so go and support this artist this writer who go to your local bookstore local bookstore and yes. buy both her books they're in paperback if you're cheap yeah don't be an asshole don't give jeff <laughs> or buy them in hardback if you want to have you're gonna want them in hardback just do yeah. it yeah so. so i'm left with uh, a lot of uh a lot of excitement uh thinking and thinking about this uh this book see what you did there yeah i'm i'm getting loopy you know mm-hmm. after a long day and i I had coffee late so i'm just kind of you know <laughs> can, you can definitely tell like when we're podcasting and like we're, we're kind of like low energy and sad <laughs> as a certain uh-huh. you know president would say it, it feels like i don't know maybe i should just drink a couple of like well yeah shots i mean of coffee I've, and, and just be I've, like, mm. <laughs> i wish i could advocate for doing this in the morning but it's our kids asleep so yeah so we he really don't have a choice he doesn't sleep in the we morning. would have to change all the fucking branding and i finally <laughs> i finally got used to the logo mm-hmm. and the font and everything I, <laughs> let's not talk about this it's too upsetting <laughs> but uh song of achilles please check it out it is a masterpiece a and then read cersei then read cersei don't be an a-hole <laughs> go read <laughs> do something um did you still want to talk about one last thing did you want to talk about 
spirited away. Oh yeah. I was trying <laughs> to remember like, what the third thing was. A, a, <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, uh, because we have HBO Max, thanks to Sam and Austin again. Thank you, Sam. Um, Thank you, Austin. We watched Spirited Away. Spirited Away. Sorry, I was ah. garbling my work. <laughs> um, which is a Miyazaki film. And I think it was one that got a lot of recognition. Like, I remember there being a year yeah. where it got, like, Oscars and it got all these, like, awards and stuff. Yeah. But... I had kind of forgotten that and we were just like, Oh, we, you know, we told our son, like, this is the same, um, people who made my neighbor Totoro. He was a staple that. at the household. And yeah. We he was like, okay. So we just decided to watch it. And spirited away is about a little girl named Shihiro and she and her parents are moving to a new house and they take a wrong turn. And, they end up in this spirit world and she has to navigate the spirit world in order to get back to her parents. And our son loves this movie so much. Like he requested to watch it again. <laughs> and that's a, that's a high bar yeah, for him. It doesn't happen often, at least not with good stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's just, and I had seen, I hadn't seen it in a very long time and it just blew me away. And I think watching it as when you're older, I don't know. I don't remember how old I, maybe in college was when I first watched it mm. and now watching it, it just hits, hits you even like it hit me even harder. Yeah. You, you start to see some of the other themes and, and some of the other ideas that you would miss as a kid but it is it is such a a peculiar movie just be, you know from uh, anything that's outside of western sensibility is going to be is going to be interesting and different and, and quirky to us but that movie connects on such a, a human level um the struggle of a kid learning to be herself and to be strong to be able to confront things i mean it, it's mm -hmm. it's just such a like one of those things that you it's a root story right that that a lot of a lot of other tales kind of stem from but the way that it's done and again it's, it's just in the in the craft of the artist putting something like this together um it's just like a feast of i don't know of, of just like visual amazingness mm -hmm. <laughs> you know it, uh i remember watching this movie and of course you know like you like you say you just see it differently when you're younger mm -hmm. um maybe i just wasn't in the right frame of mind but watching it now with family i think that just kind of tends to yeah, make it more I, th I think watching it with a child changes it for me yeah what like, does that do you think i think because they see it in a different way than we see things sure yeah, they notice things that they notice different things than we notice. Yeah. You know, like our son really loves the no face spirit, mm -hmm. which is this black cloaked spirit with like a kabuki mask kind of like for yeah, a face. It's, it's sort of a white, a white face, you know, um, yeah. can't see his eyes, just black. And yeah. then it has little like red highlights. Yeah. And, and 
there's something kind of creepy about the character, but our Sana doesn't really see it that way. Yeah. He doesn't see him as creepy. Yeah. And I, when I realized that and the, after the second time we watched it, I was like, oh, I can kind of see that he's not creepy. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of lonely. Yeah. And like, you don't, until you look at it through a child's eyes, you don't, I didn't see that. Right. And it's almost the response that the kid in the movie had where it's just yeah. like, well, if you need anything, you know, come yeah, in. Um, she like lets him in. She's like, oh, you're, like, yeah. you're getting wet. Like you should come inside. Right. And obviously that's kind of a no, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. in, in like Japanese lore where you, you probably shouldn't invite a, uh, a spirit in that might mm-hmm. be unwanted. And I love some metaphor that's happening in that because the character is hungry in particular you know if we could talk about no face for a mm-hmm. sec the character is just so eager for attention yeah. of some kind that the more attention that you give them with like a false um i guess not false but like maybe dishonest purpose mm-hmm. it starts distorting mm-hmm. him in a way and and there's that like almost horrifying scene when he's just like giving everyone gold yeah and all the people in this in this uh i guess it's a spa for it's a yeah um, it's like a bath for spirits yeah Mm -hmm. where they can come and relax and heal from all the you know spirit things that they have to do (laughs) yeah and like it's such a gruesome scene like gruesome moment where you have no face that's just kind of swallowing people because he just wants more and more and more and the one thing that doesn't happen the little girl refuses to pay him attention because she has to go and take care of another character you yeah know, she and, won't and take it like she won't take the gold she won't take her. the gold yeah and it's so powerful it's so like i don't know how a movie can be so um approachable for mm-hmm. like like a, a young audience but yet have like these really visceral like ideas happening on screen i was worried a couple times that it was too scary yeah yeah and i was i kind of was like reading our son's face and like trying to ascertain (laughs) if he was scared or not but he never no during the whole movie he never looked scared yeah it was always like it's almost like kids take those things as such a matter of fact yeah it was very matter of fact. Like. Yeah. And our son's kind of, he's very stoic in a way too. And that he, he will just kind of be like, oh, well, yeah, that's, that's what it is, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I think if a movie crosses a line, you'll know it. Oh, sure. Sure. You know, if it's too scary, like he'll tell you. Yeah. But, you know, or he'll leave the room or whatever. He'll do something to indicate that he's not liking he's not what's happening. not comfortable with it. Yeah. But that never happened in this movie. And well, because- so I don't know what Miyazaki is doing that doesn't cross that line but well he's he's able to walk it i think it's it's sparking curiosity i mean the these things are not monsters they're just you know spirits that are part of this world that belong in this ecosystem in this environment and you're just coming in as a glimpse to it but they're native to that environment Mm -hmm. they belong in this ultimately benign world Mm -hmm. and i think that's that's kind of it like the tone is never like yes she's in peril but she will be okay you know like that's kind of the tone that i that i get from it even though the stakes are very very high he's also miyazaki's also good at sort of punctuating tense situations 
with humor. Mm-hmm. You know, like when she's crossing the bridge for the first time with um, Haku uh-huh. and he tells her to hold her breath. Yeah. Otherwise, they'll know you're human. Yeah. And so she's holding her breath across the bridge. And then that frog that in that robe yeah, just like yeah. jumps out of nowhere and like <laughs> makes her inhale. And yeah. you think everything like bad's going to happen, but it turns out to be fine. Yeah. But like, so it's like just those like silly kind of sur- like uh, surreal moments of like a yeah. frog in a robe that's like kind right. of funny. It's just the back and forth of, yeah. of those moments. Um, but of course, visually, I think uh, a lot of folks will recognize. I mean, the the man just knows how to put a mo- movie together, yeah. and watching those is, is just so lush, and it has so much coming at you that I think maybe that's another element. Like on the surface level, you're just getting a, a visual, you know, buffet of of just a lot of uh, a lot of detail, a lot of color, and and just exciting images. Um, but that, that's kind of the hook for the rest of the really like meaty stuff, um, in the story. But, um, I just think like there's some moments that I just couldn't get over, like the three like heads that yeah. the lady had. I was like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> I, yeah. And, and, the, the witch, the, the main witch has, uh, that controls the spa. Yeah. She has like these, this like pet. But it's like three heads, <laughs> they're but like, they're green and they like roll around like beach balls. They just bounce. They bounce. Yeah. And they go like, uh, uh, yeah, they, know, make like they make noises. weird sound. It's so strange, um, but that, you just accept it as the, yeah, like and, within that world. You know, I, th- I think I, I had like a fear of big babies and I didn't know it until <laughs> I saw this movie where, you know, for like uh, a little bit of the movie at the beginning, you're getting introduced to like the witch and she has a baby in the other room. The baby's always crying. You don't know what the deal is. Until the main character gets in there and she has an encounter with this baby who's fucking huge. <laughs> he's he's built like uh, Andre the Giant and and there's like a really, <laughs> like it's such an off-putting scene or it was when I first saw it when he's in the pillow fort sleeping yeah. and then she hides in there yeah. and then the big baby grabs her wrist <laughs> and she's like, you better play with me or I'm going to break your arm. <laughs> so weird. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I I was i was really put off by it i was like yeah, yeah. big babies like breaking arms that's just <laughs> fucked up and then, <laughs> and then uh like eventually i'm like this is so on point mm-hmm. for character this is so like specific that of course i mean a baby wouldn't be aware of its size a baby mm-hmm. is like you know like an autonomous fucking you know little thing that thinks that it's bigger than itself you know Mm -hmm. it has no awareness and of course it would it would say that Mm -hmm. you know and it it just (laughs) like the the characters are are just so um so well fleshed out that i you gotta applaud that and and eventually i'm like yeah that's that's the big baby And I got to do the Toy Story thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're looking like at the other big baby thing, yeah. it's Toy Story three. Yeah, when when you got that fucked up doll that like is, is that every like, little girl has. Yeah, but then the the bear was it? Um, Lotso hugs. Lotso. Lotso yeah. the bear. He was like, "Hello, big baby." Big baby, ah, is like coming in. It's like the muscle man it's like the weird realistic cry it does oh yes horrifying yeah. that's that baby's way yeah. worse than the baby in spirited yeah. away can i tell you a scary story okay okay so this is the reason why i hate dolls okay so uh 
my sister Caro. Mm-hmm. She had a she had a doll in Mexico, mm-hmm. and I think like everywhere we went in Mexico was haunted. Like we're <laughs> we're Catholic enough that like we measure it by how many haunted places we <laughs> we go to. And in in my grandparents' house where we were living, we had this doll. She'd had it for a long time, and one night the doll started crying in the middle of the night. Started crying in the middle of the night. This is a real fucking like you story. You heard it. Well, or you I, saw it. I I was asleep. I I know. Well, maybe I wasn't even born. This was a while back. Oh, oh. And the fucking doll, like, just kept crying. You know, it was turned off. Oh, it was one dad, of those like crying babies. But it it was it was one of those crying babies. Okay. But my mom in the middle of the night told my dad, "Take the batteries out of it." Yeah. He went to take out the batteries, and there were no fucking batteries in it. Mm. That's some real shit. (laughs) That's some real shit. And I don't believe in anything anymore, but I know that that's some really spooky shit. But your grandma's house. That, okay. I legit, I I do, I do really believe that house is haunted. There's so much history there. Mm -hmm. There is a, um, well, I guess I should say, I should preface that by saying that house is built on the red light district. Mm-hmm. which was around you know about a hundred years ago and the whole neighborhood has stories each house has a different yeah. thing that went on there but they used to say that just behind these houses where my grandparents lived they used to they used to bury the um the aborted babies of prostitutes yikes who worked at the red light district Mm -hmm. and this could be just embellished you know shit that you know people say in the neighborhood just to scare the kids um which is pretty sinister (laughs) but um it's a common tactic there's just a lot of grief that happened in that in that area and i can imagine that really just becoming a a force of um of despair Mm -hmm. not so much evil but just confused despair and and um rage from you know the supernatural world mm-hmm. some fucked up stuff yeah you know um but yeah that's why i don't like big babies <laughs> <laughs> or dolls <laughs> no i hate babies all of them, big or small <laughs> Should be, yeah anyway we we kind of got off track but spirited away <laughs> did you want to say anything else no it's it's a great movie if you haven't uh if you haven't watched it now it's probably the easiest time to get a hold of it like yeah. for a long time Miyazaki movies were not easy to find yeah like you bought me a copy of my neighbor Totoro on oh, don't DVD remind me. on Amazon the worst. for like $70 and then, what and then three months later they released them all on Blu-ray for like $20 each I can't tell how pissed off I am by not saying anything. I just Web fucking asylum. sit there. Yeah, I'm. But yeah, that's. But before they re, you know, before they re-released them, it was like twenty plus years where you couldn't. Yeah, find and, those. you know, uh, somebody mentioned this uh, on the internet, and uh, I can't remember where I saw it, but I think that the re- the reason Spirited Away was such a massive hit, and and such a like a well received film worldwide was because it was the first movie that was released under the walt disney agreement that they would distribute miyazaki movies over here so i think they they really you know threw their weight behind the movie Mm -hmm. and and it did win an oscar for best 
best animated picture. So did they um, retroactively release all those other movies? Yeah. Through the Disney label? Yeah. Okay. And that's why they, they were yeah. more readily available on DVD and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Whereas before you had to kind of go. Yeah. The they were hard to find. I remember asking my mom, like, how did we watch My Neighbor Totoro when I was a kid? Like, how yeah. did you get a hold of it? She's like, it was at the library. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. Because it was library. a foreign movie. It was you a, know, in the foreign, like, kids yeah. section or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it's well worth it. I mean, we we really got to gotta enjoy these things because they're readily available now. And mm-hmm. um, we live in, in a really glorious time where we can have access to different cultures and in the way they see the world through stories and mm-hmm. all that fun stuff um but that movie kicks ass um don't forget about no face yeah a lot uh, um <laughs> our kid wants to go as uh no face for, <laughs> for halloween next, next year, year so. yeah so we'll we'll see if he uh if he holds to that yeah but uh yeah i think it's a wonderful film yeah it's a fucking good one. kick ass we might watch it again i mean there's a lot of them that are really good i want to watch uh porco rosso that movie yeah. sounds badass yeah it does so i want to rewatch howl's moving castle and princess yeah. mononoke so we might have to come back and do a, a miyazaki you know miyazaki special episode. Yeah, where we just talk about maybe three movies that we catch up on mm-hmm. howl's moving castle would be a good one mm-hmm. and uh i want to see that pig movie so bad <laughs> <laughs> he's like flying a, a you know uh a fighter plane yeah yeah but he was cursed to be a pig. <laughs> but he's also a detective. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> it's like film like, noir. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's he's an Italian pig. <laughs> it, it like the preview just made it look like there's a lot of intrigue happening. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good stuff. Um, but anyway, uh, until next time, is there anything you want to add? Um, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. You can email us at ourkidsasleep at gmail.com. Help a brother out. And maybe we'll have merch someday. I don't know. I want to get a fucking shirt. I want to get merch. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Okay. Let's do it. I still think we should do all things considered. Oh, fuck. Do you think uh, NPR would sue us? Maybe. I don't know. We'll just say, listen, you're always asking for money. What if we split? <laughs> so let's just split, we'll split it. You the know, halfway. The proceeds uh, with you. Yeah. It'd be something it's to think about. It's a good cause. Yeah, absolutely. Raising money for public radio. Yeah, something to think about. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's stop recording, shall we? Good night, guys. Good night. Good night.